We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNEW presents New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. And uh, well, all I can say is it's been an interesting 7 to 10 days, that's for sure. So last live show I did was about a week ago. And that's about when all of the GameStop news was really hitting. And so I'm a little late talking about this story already. It's already been the most popular thing and then it's starting to fizzle out a little bit. But it's definitely an interesting week. I can't tell you how many good friends and then how many even more old acquaintances from high school hit me up on social media. They sent me messages on Facebook, Instagram... Asking about getting in on GameStop. They all know I'm an investment advisor, certified financial planner. But a lot of people don't know what that means, I'm finding out. And so just like many of these people that were late to the GameStop party, I'm talking about it a little bit late because much of a reversal has already occurred. Where GameStop is now off 75% from its high. That was back on what January 27th or so. So the common questions that I was getting as somebody that people kind of knew I was in the business, um, because if you know me and you're good friends with me, I don't tend to talk about stocks and investment advice and things like that when I'm just hanging out with people because I talk about it you know, 8 to 12 hours a day minimum. So I'd rather not when I'm just hanging out having fun. So the common questions that I was getting through social media was... What do you think about it? Did you get hurt by it at all? Are you getting in on this GameStop and AMC money? And hey, why aren't you dishing out good stock advice on Facebook? That was a couple of them that I got. So let's talk about for those podcast listeners that don't maybe focus on CNBC and Bloomberg on a daily and see how big this story was. What happened? First of all, you got to know what is Reddit? Because I don't think most people over 50 have ever even logged on or looked at Reddit. And essentially, it's a massive collection of forums where people can share news and content and comment on it. So you can kind of find groups that you like, groups that you're interested in, and just do a lot of back and forth with a lot of different people all at once. And some very smart traders on Reddit and some of these forums figured out that there was some way too common hedge fund trades out there. Hedge funds are a type of 
you, okay, you, everybody knows what a mutual fund is, right? You put your money in and the manager buys a bunch of different stocks inside of it. Well, a hedge fund manager, will they can go long or short on a stock. If you're buying a stock like a mutual fund, typically that means you're betting on that stock in the next three to five years is going to go up in value, if not sooner. But a hedge fund will do different strategies, whether it's with options or going short on a stock. And when you're selling a stock short, it means you're betting that that stock goes down in value and that's how you make money. So you essentially borrow the shares from your brokerage firm. You sell it. You hope it goes down in value. So you buy those shares back, deliver it back to the brokerage firm you borrowed the shares from, and your gain comes from that, sh- that stock falling in value. And GameStop was very heavily traded. There was more shares shorted than were really outstanding in the market. So it was way overshorted. And some smart people figured that out. It was way too common of a hedge fund trade. Everybody kind of knew GameStop was going to go bankrupt. Right, most of the new games are just coming out online. You don't need to go into a store and rent something or buy something to load into your Xbox or something else in order to play it. So people figured that out. They piled into the stock, and by piling into the stock, they knew that these hedge funds would have to cover their shorts because when you short a stock, you really have unlimited risk. It's just just a stupid thing to do in most cases. Now, have people made money doing this? Yeah, just watch the movie Big Short. There's some people that made a lot of money shorting stuff. But for the average investors, especially people that have not built a base of good holdings of just good ETFs and stocks, not a good idea. They don't know what they're doing. So when you short a stock, it's an unlimited risk because if that stock keeps going up and up, it goes up for the rest of your life you're going to lose money for infinity. So what happens is brokerage firms say, okay, this spread, the stock has not gone down in value. It's gone up. So you're continuing to lose money. There's too much of a spread here. You need to cover your shorts. So the people on Reddit figured out that hedge funds would have to continue to cover their shorts. They'd have to actually go in and buy the stock, pushing the stock up farther and farther. In fact, a couple of hedge funds went out of business. They went bankrupt because of this trade. And it went way up and way up. And by the time it went from Reddit to mainstream social media like Facebook and Instagram. People were starting to pile into this trade late, not even knowing what they were doing. So they're buying GameStop. They're riding it up a little bit. And what I was going to talk about last week, if I would have had time, is like, you know what? In a sense, it's like, good job. Power to the people. They figured this out. There's so much information out there. And... I don't like the way the hedge funds work anyways because they charge a 2% annual fee and 20% of the profit and the majority of them underperform the S&P 500. So power to the people. They figured it out. But at the same time, it concerns me because we're in a bit of a speculative bubble here where people are ignoring fundamentals and they're just thinking about ideas. Kind of like in 1999 when everybody was investing in anything that had a dot-com behind it. And my fear, which actually occurred was that new investors would get on, in on something like this, make a little bit of money thinking that they were smart. They would buy a couple of other things that they're seeing about on Reddit. And then the reversal would happen and they would be stuck holding it. Like GameStop, people that got in last week, down 74% on that trade in many cases. And so what happens is you get a new investor investing based on Reddit or social media they get in on it, they get hammered, and then all of a sudden, they've never invested before. So they're like, stock market sucks. I'm never investing in stocks again. You can't make money on it. It's rigged. 
So first it was Wall Street rigging it. Now it's people on Reddit rigging it. And I'm never going to make money in stocks. So forget it. I'm never investing again. And that's exactly what's happening right now. And that, that kills me. So it started off as this good thing where it's getting people interested in investing. And investing is almost free these days. It's not totally free because as we all know, Robinhood, which lets you buy stocks and stuff like that for free, we're selling some of their trades and there's lawsuits about it. So there's no free lunch on Wall Street. But with Acorns and Reddit and Betterment and all these robo-advisor options and ways to buy stocks for almost free and ETFs for almost free, there's a lot of good in that. It helps people start investing early and it's very easy. There's very little friction. When I started in the business 26 years ago, if you wanted to buy stocks, you'd call up your broker. Hey, what do you think about this stock? What do you think about GE? And they'd give you some you know, pros and cons, mostly pros because they want you to buy because anytime you bought a stock, they would make 2% on the trade. So you'd have to make up like 4% just to break even on that trade. Now you can go buy stocks for free. It's Schwab, Fidelity, wherever. ETFs for free in most cases. So that's, that part is good. But then, then social media gets involved and you get some of this pump and dump stuff that goes on. Now, just look at Wolf of Wall Street. Remember what those guys were doing? Is they would get into a position or try to take somebody public. They would all get in a boiler room. They'd call everybody on the, on, in the phone book, try to get mom and pa invested in the stock because they told this great story about it. They'd pump up the stock and then turn around and sell all their shares. Pump and dump strategy. So you don't think this is going to happen on Reddit and social media? For sure. Now, I'm not saying, again, that there's some really smart people. You got mathematicians and physics and all sorts of stuff. But then the lemmings come following into the trade. We saw it a year or two ago with uh, cryptocurrency issues that got banned on social media. We'll talk a little bit more about it because, guys, this isn't much different than message boards of the 90s. You can help with your financial plan. Whether you're in the Portland, Vancouver area, down in the Bay Area, where we've always had offices now in the East Bay, Chicago, oh, all over the place. We've got now a team of 50 certified financial planners, practitioners through EP Wealth. So check it out. Go to my website, chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. Lots of downloadables there. The retirement planning guide that we have available, just shoot me an email for that one. That got really popular last week. So you're looking for a really good retirement planning guide to kind of, okay, I'm, you know, try to get down that path. I'm 10, 15 years from retirement, I think. Do I have enough? I don't know. What are some of the checklists that I should look at? Check it out. Shoot me an email, chat at chatbert.com. Uh, talking about, of course, late to the party on uh, this uh, GameStop story, but I'm going to, if people continue to ask me about it on social media, first of all, I can't talk, give investment advice on social media at all. I can't talk about stocks. I have specific rules. If I give a favorable, as a registered investment advisor, somebody that manages money, if I give a favorable opinion about a stock, I can't trade in it for three days. So there's all sorts of rules that I have to live by as an actual registered investment advisor. Very strict rules. Not so much on social media. Although I was reading a story about one of the people behind GameStop, like Roaring Kitty or something like that, was a former or current financial advisor. And now you're going to start to see stuff on Reddit that now that people know that it works so well in pumping and dumping stocks, you're going to see hedge funds create fake forums and try to do that to sway the general population and their favor on which direction they want a stock to go up or down. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. It really is.
So again, some really smart traders on Reddit figured out that a stock called GameStop was way too overly shorted. And they realized that, hey, if I can get people to jump in on this stock, the stock will go up. The hedge funds will be forced to cover their shorts, really sending the stock up, and we'll all make money together. But then what people don't realize is that if everybody's doing the same trade, it's not going to work very well. Because every time you want to sell a stock, you got to have a buyer. And you might look at a stock position, but if everybody starts... You might be looking at a stock saying, oh, look at the price. It's really high. I want to go sell it and take my profits. But if everybody's selling at the same time, the, the, the bid goes down. You, you're not going to get the same price. It's going to... The person, the actual willing trade to buy it is going to be lower than what you think. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people got hammered on this late to the party GameStop trade. And I hope that we don't get a decade of lost investors because they're looking at the stock market going, oh, it's gone up, it's gone up. And I'm going to use my stimulus check to get into some of this trade and get some of this wealth. Oh, I got screwed. I got, I got in late into the party and I'm never going to invest again. And that makes me sad. It does. So it scares me when it comes to social media and investing because there's some really smart traders and people on Reddit, but they're also really smart and know how to use social media to their advantage and create a frenzy. A real frenzy. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, so, first of all, this is not new, you guys. I mean, I've been in the business for 26 years and I remember the message boards in the 90s. Just the message boards where people were going on message boards and buying stocks based on some weird handle that people used on a message board and saying, this is the great next.com company, you should buy it. And everybody thought they were geniuses for a while. It was kind of a tough time to be a financial advisor in 98 and 99 because we were getting great returns on general investments, but I had 70-year-olds calling and asking about companies like Webvan. Like, why aren't you guys in this? Why aren't you getting in more internet stocks? This is the future. It's a new economy. And then boom, the stock market got crushed in 2000, 2001, 2002, but not the whole stock market. It was just technology. Our REIT funds, our small cap value funds did actually really good during that time and asset allocation worked really well. And People realized again what the help of good fee only certified financial planners do to help keep you into strategies that work over the long run, not frenzies. So, getting back to the questions that people were asking me, good friends, and then people I hadn't even talked to in 20, 30 years on social media, what do you think about it? Did you get hurt by it at all? No, I don't, I don't ever short stocks. I, I would explain that. I thought it was kind of funny that Reddit users figured this out, that these stocks were overshorted by before some of these actual hedge fund managers did. But I've never been a fan of the hedge fund scenario where they charge 2% a year plus 20% of the profit, and most of them underperform the S&P 500. And the problem is, is that hedge funds still get funded. And there, there's some good ones out there. Don't get me wrong. You, you know, you've heard of many of them. Ray Dalio, for example. Um, but he has more of a common way to invest money if you actually read about his strategies. There are some decent hedge fund managers out there that have made people a lot of money, but most of them you can't even get into. And you have to be a million in net worth and 250000 a year in income and an accredited investor. So you're not getting in on them anyway. But the general person wants to believe that there's really a way that in the long run, they can totally outperform the market. So when a hedge fund manager creates this new strategy that they're presenting to wealthy people that want to believe this, they suck in all this money, they have lockups where you can't get your money out, they're not liquid, and they charge 2% a year and 20% any profit. By the time people get their money back, 
they've really underperformed the S&P 500. So I thought it was kind of funny. But not funny for the general investor, like I've talked about, that came late to the party. So no, I didn't get on any of the GameStop and AMC money. I don't trade like that. I invest in good companies, good funds, good ETFs for the long run. Continue to invest every single paycheck. Why am I not dishing out good stock advice on Facebook and Instagram? That's another question. Because I can't. I'm not allowed to, people. I have very strict regulations as an investment advisor. What I do like about all this is that teenagers were asking parents about investing. It had been a while since my daughter had asked me about stocks or ETFs and things like that. And her boyfriend did the AMC trade, doubled his money in a couple of days on the AMC trade in Robinhood because his mom helped him open an account. So she was asking about it. So the idea of apps like Acorn, which I really like, Robinhood, which I think is great for people that want to invest, but it can get people in trouble. It, it, they can be very helpful. You can use this as a teaching moment to help them build a financial base of investing in good ETFs, even buy a couple of good stocks and reinvest the dividends and hold them for the long run. But right now there is a speculation bubble. Not in, there's not a bubble in general stocks in most cases. Some stocks are expensive, but the ones that are growing revenue at double digits, they're expensive. But there is some speculation bubble in things like just speculative names. And even if you look at cryptocurrency, which is here forever, but that is, that's a speculation situation. But the way that IPOs are just going to the moon, well above any earnings or revenue that they're creating. There, this this kind of happens. And I'm going to actually talk about, are we anywhere of kind of a bubble situation here in a little bit? But I don't like the way that these stocks can be easily pumped up on social media and can actually hurt people and turn them away from the stock market if they get burned by this speculation bubble. So there's some good in it where it's teaching people to think about investing, but hopefully they don't just think about it, get in on the speculation bubble, get hurt by the pop, and then never think about investing again. That's what scares me. It's going to be interesting to see if there's going to be some regulation on social media about pumping up stocks. Right now, if you're not in the business, you can go on these forums and say whatever you want. It's freedom of speech. I can't do it. I'd lose my license and lose my business. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. Now, one of the people ask about a lot, and I was talking about the bubble and speculative situations right now. IPOs, um, certain biotech companies, things like that. There's a lot of people that are trying to play catch-up because they weren't invested. They weren't unfortunately, part of the big stock market rise in the last 10 years. So trying to make it up in the end, and they, they, they look for these big trades. And so there's a little bit of speculative bubble in IPOs. And you know you got this Reddit situation kind of fueling the fire. So let's look at this. And there's a company called Strategus that we get a lot of uh, just overall market information from and lots of charts and graphs and economic commentary. Um, and they put out on the last uh, weekly report a really good bull market top checklist. So the last big tops that we've seen were in the year 2000, which I talked about. And that's when the NASDAQ topped out. It was mostly tech companies. 
And even the Microsofts and the Cisco's that were actually making money were trading at just ridiculous price earnings ratios. And then these companies that had no revenue were going to the moon. No revenue yet. They just had a dot-com past their name as part of their name going through the moon. And that tech bubble popped. Now, asset allocation continued to work during that time because a lot of good companies still did well. But that was the first time the market was corrected three years in a row, was negative three years in a row since just right after the Great Depression. It was 2000, 2001, and 2002. That one wasn't as painful, though, as the market top in 2007 that was fueled by credit bubble. And then those credit uh, products being repackaged, resold, relevered, and a systemic crisis almost occurred. Well, it did occur, but a global depression almost occurred because the financial system almost fell apart. That was 2007. So the last two market tops in 2000, 2007 versus current. Now, the number one thing that they listed is... So, so I'm looking at this sheet and it's a, it's a column with 2000, 2007 and current. And whether or not currently we are showing similarities with 2000, 2007 as a kind of a blow, blow off top bull market is way too high kind of a situation. Now, the one thing that's in common with 2000, 2007 is the S&P 500 trading about 15% above its 200-day moving average. So we've continued to push forward to this wall of worry. Now, why is that happening? It's because we have a ton of money in the system, a lot of money on the sidelines, huge amount of money in money markets, and a big fiscal stimulus package coming. So that's understandable. In addition, we have much, 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 much lower interest rates now than in 2000 and 2007, which warrants higher PE ratios. So that's the one thing that we have in common. A second thing that was really big in 2000, 2007 is a huge amount of inflows into equity money market funds. Or I'm sorry, not money market funds, but into equity funds. So back in 2000, it was mostly mutual funds and now it's funds and ETFs. We have seen a large inflow into equity funds, but overall, they're underwhelming in aggregate compared to the level of flows that we saw into funds as investors came in late to the party in 2000 and 2007. And like I said, money market mutual funds, the amount of household cash that there's out there is at a high. So there's still room to grow in terms of more money flowing into equity market funds and ETFs. In 2000 and in 2007, there was a huge pickup in M&A activity. That's mergers and acquisitions, where a lot of larger companies were really struggling to find growth. So they started to buy up these speculative companies, these companies that had not profits, but a fast-growing revenue and a way to try to reshape themselves, especially in 2000, to get to more of a techie-style company. There's a huge pickup in M&A activity in 2000 and in 2007, the last two top bubbles. And it's kind of begun to pick up now. I mean, I've been owning an M&A fund, thinking it was going to pick up a little bit faster than that. Um, And it has. It started to pick up quite a bit last year, but it's still pretty low this year. Now, the pipeline's robust, though. And this is one of the reasons why I like smaller companies right now is because I think we're going to see a pickup 
in M&A going forward. So currently, there's not a similarity on M&A activity like 2000, 2007. Both had a big pickup. Now, there has been one other area of all of these items. There's nine different areas of bull market top checklists that we have here. So trading above the 200-day moving average and IPO activity. That's the only similarities here. IPO activity has shown a significant pickup lately. And companies are just kind of, you know, here's a blank check. Just fill it in, whatever you need. We want to we buy you. And that's a little bit concerning. That's why I was talking about that speculative bubble in, in IPO situations. And so a lot of companies that really shouldn't be coming public yet, they're not really proven. They don't really have the profits or a path to profits are going public and people are jumping in on it. And now it's easier than ever to do that with apps like Robinhood and things like that. In 2000 and 2007, there was rising real interest rates. The market was becoming overfueled, too much liquidity. And they started increasing interest rates in order to slow things down a little bit. That's very common with economic cycles. And right now, that happened in 2000 and 2007. Right now, real rates are showing no signs of rising. So that's, that's totally unlike any other previous bull market peak. So we have kind of, if I have time, I'll get to it maybe tomorrow where we've got idea of inflation and higher rates going, coming forward. But right now, that's not the case. In 2000 and 2007, we started to see real big signs of weakening upward earnings revisions. Where we're like, ooh, they've already gone up pretty much as much as they can. So, the, so analysts kept revising their earnings revisions, their earnings estimates, down, 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 down. Right now, that's definitely not the case. Earnings revisions remain near the highest levels in history. In 2007 and 2000, the year 2000, there was a big erosion in the number of stocks making new highs. Something I would always talk about, especially in 2007, was the advanced decline line. And when you have very few stocks making new highs, when the stock market overall is going up, that's not a good sign. It's bad breadth. B-R-E-A-D-T-H. But right now, breadth's been about as good as we've seen in history. Consolidations can develop from these conditions, but that's right now it's not the breadth is not a sign of a typical top in a bull market run. In 2000 and 2007, we started to see a real shift towards defensive leadership. Especially 2007, people started to kind of flock over to the consumer staple stocks and you know things like that. And while they have had a decent run recently, and according to Strategus, due for some consolidation, there hasn't been a big major shift to value so far. We've seen fits and spurts to defensive stocks, but nothing long-lasting more than a few weeks so far. So far, people are still going for growth. Plain and simple, because you do have some companies that are trading high PE ratios, but they're also growing revenue at double digits. In 2000 and 2007, we had widening credit spreads. So that's the how much you paid for a very conservative, safe bond versus a high yield or a junk bond. And those spreads were widening in 2000 and 2007. Right now, that's not the case. Investment grade 
spreads are back to their lows and high yield spreads have recovered significantly from the pandemic highs. So that's of the nine things that I mentioned, a blow off top, heavy inflows into equity market funds, pick up an M&A, IPO activity, rising real interest rates, weakening upward revisions, erosion in the number of new stocks, of stocks making new highs, a shift towards defensive leadership and widening credit spreads. We only have two boxes checked that are similar. That's the where the S&P 500 is trading above its 200-day moving average and the IPO activity. And a lot of companies are like, oh, there is a speculation frenzy right now. We better go IPO now before this is over and get a top price for our stock. And um, people are jumping in. I've seen friends that I know have never built a base in financial assets in terms of just good index funds and putting 15% into their 401k or Roth IRA or Roth 401k, jumping on an app and getting allocated some shares of IPS. And that's, that's what reminds me of 1999. But with all of this said, I don't care as an investor. I'm still going to continue to invest. Even if it looks more toppy and toppy, it's like I'm investing for 20, 30 years out. Stock market goes up and down. We spend 70% of our lives at a stock market high. The market is positive 70% of the time throughout history if we look back over 100, 110 years. So if the market's positive 70% of the time and negative 30% of the time, we're going to spend 70% of our time at stock market all-time highs wondering if this is the peak for the cycle. And you're going to go through multiple cycles. You have economic cycles that last 7 to 10 years. So you're going to go through these peaks and valleys. But guess what? These stocks tend to pay dividends. You continue to reinvest those dividends you're going to have a heck of a lot more money in 10 years from now. So don't worry too much about tops or bottoms. Continue to invest in good stuff. If you have need for investment help, financial planning, retirement planning, let's go to chadburton.com, a team of certified financial planners surrounding me to help. Make sure your plan is created on track, monitored, and all sorts of issues are dealt with. Taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing is all part of what we do. And now going forward, 2021 and beyond, have you seen a change from new focus financial to EP wealth? We dealing do for our clients. We can even do tax returns, basic estate plans, wills, trust, all. It's being able to go to one person, get your financial planning done, or a team of people actually, your estate plan done, taxes done, no insurance products sold to you, no commissions involved, fee only fiduciaries. That's what we do. And as fee only fiduciaries, we still give advice on insurance. And so I'm going to go to this question from Randall. And Randall says, enjoy your radio program. Can you tell me what type of long-term care insurance you recommend? I hear there may be some new options that are preferable to the old standard long-term care offerings. So yeah, Randall, you're right. I mean, there, there are some new offerings, which I'm kind of surprised that some of them I do like. And here's your options though. Let's, let's first talk about how important this need is because I got into the business 26 years ago with my grandfather. He was in his 60s. So his clients were older than him. And so very early in my life, before I was 21 years old, I was doing planning for people that would call and say, my husband or my wife has gone into a nursing home. I don't know how I'm going to pay for it and not go broke. And it was very, very sad to see. In fact, I'd often see one person would go into a nursing home and the other person would be so stressed out and worried, their health would fail quicker. And in some cases, they passed away sooner because they were so stressed out. 
Now, there's ways, just so you know, if you or your parents are in a situation where one of you needs long-term care and you just can't afford it, there's some spousal impoverishment laws where you can plan for the ill spouse and make sure that the well spouse isn't going to be you know, homeless. And you can shift some income and things like that with an elder law attorney that specializes in this stuff. So there's that. But let's talk about general people that are trying to plan for a good retirement. So your options are, one, you can go broke and go on Medi-Cal. Other states just called Medicaid. You can pay for it for yourself. So some people have enough assets. Those are typically, they get to retirement and they're drawing less than 3% of their portfolio at age 65. In some of those scenarios, some people might be able to afford to just take on the risk themselves. And if them or their spouse goes into a nursing home, the average stays three years and they can run scenarios and projections and say, you know what, I can still afford to do this on my own. So I'm not going to buy the insurance. But that's got to be 3% or less at age 65 that you're living off your portfolio. Some people plan on, you know what, if I need this, I've got a house that I don't want to sell because I pay a huge capital gain. So I'm going to do a reverse mortgage and use that to fund my long-term care or at-home healthcare needs. Or some people just plan on selling their home. That's actually pretty common that people get to a certain age. You're like, you know what? I would rather just go into a community situation where first I have my own place, whether it's a cottage or an apartment. But as I continue to age and I need more and more care, there's different levels of care, whether it's the occasional push a button and somebody comes to your apartment versus around the clock facility. In, all in one community setting. Very common. Some people... Uh, decide to buy long-term care insurance. And this has been a bad rap because, man, this is it's been around for a long time in terms of human years, but in terms of the length of... Like, if you compare it to life insurance, it's a very young insurance. And it was totally mispriced because of the aging population. So a lot of people that bought it 10 years ago, 15 years ago, are getting huge rate increases from their companies. And now it's even more expensive to buy, especially for women. Women get highly rated versus men because men tend to just die Women tend to go into long-term care facilities a longer period of time. So they, women are rated more. I still see wealthy people buy long-term care insurance because especially earlier in my career, I can't tell you how many times I would see a wealthy individual need long-term care, especially for Alzheimer's or dementia. And we would go visit them and they would be in a horrible setting, sharing a room with other people because their son or daughter was trying to conserve how much of their inheritance was being spent on care for their parents. It just disgusted me. So sometimes wealthy people will buy long-term care insurance so that that financial issue is not part of the decision-making process of their heirs. I know it's sad, but it's the case. Um, and it's hard. It's like, you know, if you're 55, when you go to shop for it, that's about the earliest you'd want to buy it. You know, you, you might be able to get a policy for about 2100 bucks a year. By the time you're 65, it's going to be more like four grand a year. And so it's like, gosh, you're going to spend all of this money every single year. And if you happen to die never using it, that's a lot of money that goes away. So there's basic types of long-term care insurance that you buy it. The only way you get money back out of it is you go into a situation where you need home health assistance or you go into a facility, adult daycare, assisted living, uh, full-blown long-term care. There's that kind of policy, but if you don't ever use it, there's a return of premium, but I don't think that's typically... It tends to not really be worth the extra money, in my opinion. But then there's these hybrid life insurance policies, and they've gotten a lot better over the last three or four years. So it's often a good choice for people that have access cash. They're around 65. They have that 
situation where they're drawing three to four percent of their portfolio for retirement and they're okay, but they feel like they already have enough stocks and bonds, they don't really want to invest in anymore and they have excess cash. And the cash is really for set aside for their care if they need assistance later in life, or they're just going to leave it to their heirs or their spouse. So what these hybrid policies do is they you take some of this cash and you either do monthly or annual or lump sum premiums and it creates a life insurance benefit that's much larger than the cash. But if you need long-term care or assisted living, you can use this death benefit early while you're alive and the remaining amount goes to your heirs, whether it's your kids or your spouse. It takes careful analysis. Everybody's different. So Randall, I don't have a specific policy that I recommend to people. Everybody has their own plan, situation, age differences between spouses, it's just to be aware that these products are out there, whether it's long-term care insurance, the hybrid life insurance policy, selling your home, reverse mortgage, your family taking care of you. Part of a good retirement plan addresses this. You have a written plan. You communicate this plan with your adult kids so that they know what's going on when, frankly, you may not anymore because of dementia or Alzheimer's. If you need help with these issues, just shoot me an email, chadchadburton.com, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, iTunes, all the podcast downloads at chadburton.com. Have a great day, everyone. 